Well, Friday was a special day, Valentine's Day. Guys, did you remember that? Because your wives did. I'm just making sure, all right? If you've wondered why your wife is staring at you with this ugly expression on her face all weekend, now you know. Okay, so I'll, I'll do my best to let you get out of here and go grab her some chocolates and flowers before lunch. I had to correct my kids, and really several kids that uh, rode the church van on Wednesday night this week, because they were all excited about Friday. But in their minds, it wasn't Valentine's Day. It was Valentine's Day with an M. You guys heard kids talk about Valentine's Day before instead of Valentine's? And so yeah, I, I try my best with Mordecai, my first grader, and, and Branch, our little four-year-old at the house, and even Mally in third grade would go back to reverting and calling it Valentine's. And so I'd correct this little misunderstanding. It, it's Valentine's Day. It's not times for Valen to show up. I have no idea who that guy is. And so as I'd correct him, it was almost like, uh, okay, you know, they'd hear me. I'd make Branch even say it after me, Valentine's Day with an N. And he would say it. And then it wasn't 30 minutes later. Dad, when is Valentine's again? And I thought, oh, goodness, what are we doing here? In Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48, Jesus also had the responsibility of correcting some false understanding. And I'm sure that even as perfect as Jesus was, he was a little disappointed and frustrated with the hearts of people many times. Because you see, Jesus wasn't just talking about the label for a holiday he was talking about the condition of people's hearts. This was a serious matter that Jesus had to address. It was a serious error that people had been committing. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, Jesus continued his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. We've looked at several of these verses over the preceding weeks and discussed Jesus' higher law that he presents here in Matthew 5. You would, let's, let's read together. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus didn't just correct the false understanding here of people hating their enemies in verses 43 through 48. We, we've looked the past few weeks at Jesus correcting several false ideas that folks had interpreted even from God's Old Testament law. At least six times from Matthew chapter 5 verse 21 to Matthew chapter 5 verse 48, Jesus uses the phrase, you have heard that it was said. 
And each time he uses that phrase, he quotes or references the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. In the book of Deuteronomy, which you've been studying in Sunday school, if you're part of our Sunday school classes, Moses is reiterating God's law to his people. The word Deuteronomy means second law. Moses was resharing what God's people had already heard and received through Moses the prophet as he shared what God's rules and wishes and desires were for his people. But still, even throughout the centuries, people who had written copies of God's instruction, of the book of Deuteronomy, they could quote it, but then they would misinterpret it. They knew it, but they applied it incorrectly. In fact, if you look through Matthew chapter 5, anytime your English translation has a phrase or a sentence in all capital letters or in italics, it's a direct quote from the Old Testament. Jesus was quoting when he said in verse 43, you shall love your neighbor. It's a direct quote from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. But the idea amongst the Jewish people when they read God's word both from Leviticus 19 and from Deuteronomy 23, was that they should love their neighbors, but that they could hate their enemies. That that was an acceptable interpretation of the law that God had given. They received this idea because in their minds, neighbors were people that they liked and were people that were like them. They were supposed to love people that they liked, they were supposed to love people who were like them, but their enemies were different from them. And many times more than different, they were opposed to them, opposed to their lifestyle, opposed to their worship of the one true God. So if you don't mind turning over, look at Leviticus chapter 19 with me, and let's just take a closer examination of the original law that was given. If you don't like to turn in your Bibles, that's fine, you can listen along as I read these few verses out loud. But in Leviticus chapter 19, we have the original command from the Lord that people are to love their neighbors as they love themselves. Leviticus chapter 19, and really the, the command kind of ties in to what's shared in verse 17. Leviticus 19, 17, and 18. Now listen carefully. You shall not hate your fellow countryman in your heart. You may surely reprove your neighbor, but shall not incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Let me point out just a few things the Jews decided to do with the letter of these laws. Verse 17 says, you shall not hate your fellow countrymen. So the Jews began to get in mind something like this. Well, I'm not going to hate my Jewish, my Israelite countrymen. But this passage doesn't specifically say that I have to love the Assyrian or the Babylonian, or the Sidonian, or the Moabite. So I need to love people who are like me, 
But the people who aren't like me, God didn't specifically say anything about them. So, you know what? I'm going to love my fellow Israelites. And if you're not an Israelite, I'm going to hate your guts. You see how this kind of thinking and logic led them down a path of evil. In fact, it's almost a form of racism. And in the New Testament, it becomes that way. Jesus would point out to the Pharisees that they absolutely hated certain groups of people, among whom were Samaritans, or even Sadducees that they worked together with to arrest Jesus, ironically, or the Romans who lorded over these Jewish people. There was a problem. They knew Leviticus 19, 17, and 18, but they had misinterpreted what God had said. And in verse 18, it, the idea when the Lord said, you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself, the Jews would start to ask this question. And even amongst the rabbis, they would say, well, who is my neighbor? I have no disagreement, they would say, that God wants me to love my neighbor, but let's define this word neighbor a little more carefully. And so all of a the sudden, the, their neighbors became people that were like them and people that they liked. And people who weren't like them and people that they didn't like weren't necessarily their neighbors. Oh, goodness. It turned into a mess. In fact, Jesus pointed out the problem poignantly when he told a story about this good Samaritan. You guys remember that story? It, it, it goes kind of like this. I'll summarize quickly. There was a man traveling to Jericho, and while he was on the road, some thieves came and beat him up. I mean, they, they left him a mess on the side of the road, stripped him of his clothes, stole his money, and just left him there half dead to die. And lo and behold, walking down the road came a priest and a Levite. But both of them, seeing this man and needing to get on with their religious business, decided to pass him by on the road. After all, maybe he had deserved the fate that he was experiencing now. They were going to go and do God's business while this man suffered. And then a third person came by, traveling on the road. And he found the man hurt and wounded, naked and without anything. And the man picked him up and sat him on his own animal, carried him into the town, took him into the inn, paid the innkeeper to take care of his wounds and for lodging and for meals for the next few days so that the man could recuperate and get well. And then furthermore told the innkeeper, if he incurs any additional expenses in his stay here, I'll return soon and reimburse you for his needs. And then... We find out in the story as Jesus tells it that that man wasn't a priest or a Levite, but that he was a Samaritan. In fact, in the account that Luke gives of this story, Jesus tells this story because somebody said, when Jesus said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, somebody dared to ask him, well, Jesus, who exactly is my neighbor? And yes, we need to love the person hurt and in need there on the ground. But Jesus was also pointing out 
to this self-righteous Jew, you need to love the person you hate the most, the Samaritan. Because in fact, it's many times that these Samaritans you don't like have far better intentions in their hearts than you do in your own. And all this cut and pierced the Pharisees' hearts when they heard Jesus talk about loving not just their neighbors, but also their enemies. Jesus, after he uses the phrase, you have heard that it was said, will quote or refer to a passage in Deuteronomy. And then over and over and over again in this chapter, we've seen Jesus say simply this, but I say to you, that this is why this little phrase is so important. Throughout the Old Testament, the prophets would use the phrase, thus saith the Lord. And then they would quote what God had said. But here Jesus doesn't use the expression, thus saith the Lord. He simply says, but I say unto you. What these people were receiving when they were listening to Jesus' teaching was a direct word from God himself. Through his son, Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus used the expression, but I say to you, he is speaking with the same authority and power as the Heavenly Father spoke through the prophets in the Old Testament. This is why I come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. The people that have been listening to Jesus are in awe and wonder because he was speaking and teaching as one having authority, not as the scribes and not as the Pharisees. You see, according to Jesus' teaching here, it's possible to know God's word, even to be able to quote it, even to be able to teach it, but still not to live by it. And oh, what a shame that is. Jesus was pointing out the hypocrisy in people's hearts. It doesn't make sense to love your neighbor and hate your enemy when if we're honest with ourselves, there are many times that our enemies are also our neighbors. So instead of hating your enemy, Jesus says, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's difficult to hear those words, isn't it? I mean, as I was studying this passage this week, my mind wandered in several different directions. What exactly does it mean to, to love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you? I mean, I, I thought of everything from, I'm a big St. Louis Cardinals fan, do I need to love and pray for Cubs fans? To things like this, I mean, serious matters. You think of those Navy SEALs who came in to take out Osama bin Laden. How was it possible for them to love their enemy and at the same time do what they had been sent on mission to do. And then it fleshes out into the real areas of our lives, right? It's not just a scenario for somebody far off, but it's things like this. How do I love the family member who is constantly lying to me and who has stolen from me and who has hurt me many times? How do I love the neighbor across the street who puts me in harm's way because of the drug deals that take place in the front of their home or because of the violent domestic calls that police respond to on a routine basis? How do I love somebody that is not like me and somebody that I really don't like? 
difficult to do, is it not? And I think that's why Jesus gave this twofold command. He didn't just say, love your enemies. And he didn't just say, pray for those who persecute you. Rather, he said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I heard Dr. Norville say this one time, and it stuck with me. It's hard to hate someone while you're praying for them. And if you need to learn to love somebody, just start praying for them. It's amazing what will happen in your heart if you'll just admit to God that this person you're thinking of is your enemy. In fact, Jesus didn't even say here to make your enemies your friends. He just said, love them and pray for them. Pray for them and you'll learn to love them. And Jesus even gives the reason why we should do this. Jesus didn't say that all of a sudden your enemy would change his heart and become your friend. Jesus didn't say that all of a sudden life would be perfect for you and you would never have any more enemies in the future. Rather, Jesus said in verse 45, If you'll love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, then you will be sons of your Father who is in heaven. And I like this thought. Here's why. We call Jesus the Son of God. And rightly so, because Jesus is God in flesh, right? He has the attributes, the characteristics, the personality, the behavior of his Father in heaven. When we choose to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, then we too become sons and daughters of our Father who is in heaven. That is, we act the same way he acts towards his own enemies. Jesus goes on to present an idea that's talked about in the Old Testament. God the Father in heaven causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. I mean, when people woke up this morning and they looked out their window after the sun had come up in the sky, they could see the sun up in the sky. The sun coming up in the sky, the sun rising, didn't depend upon whether they were an evil person or a good person. Rather, God showed them the same common grace. The sun rose this morning to shine on each of us alive on this earth. And he presents this other idea. And God in heaven sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Common grace. The Lord showing his love to the creatures that he has made, even when those creatures choose to rebel against him and make themselves his enemies. When we choose to love those who are opposed to us, and when we choose to pray for those who mean us ill and mean us harm, we act towards our enemies like the Father in heaven acts towards his enemies. And we are rewarded and blessed for it. Jesus went on to, to talk about this idea of loving not just your friends and neighbors, but also of your enemies. He said, if you love those who love you, what kind of reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And you know what happened when people heard the second phrase of that question? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? immediately the picture of Zacchaeus down the road at the tax booth 
or Levi over here in this town coming to collect more than their fair share to contribute to the Roman government came to their minds. And all of a sudden, Jesus' lofty principle of loving your enemies became a concrete challenge. Because in their minds, whoo, Jesus, you say to love our enemies, I think that I can love those Chicago Cubs fans, but I don't know about those people that take my money. And then Jesus goes on to ask this question in verse 47, if you greet only your brothers, your Jewish kinfolk, what more are you doing than others? Doesn't everybody else in all the other nations of the world do the same thing? Then Jesus said, don't the Gentiles even do the same thing? And could you imagine the expletives rising on the back of the throat of these people as they're hearing Jesus teach, love your enemies? And they go, whoa, 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 Jesus. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but they are not like us. And Jesus knew very well that the Gentiles were not like the Jewish people. In fact, it broke Jesus' heart to see this group of people, his Jews, who had God's law, the Old Testament, that said you shall love your neighbor as yourself, not doing what God's law said, and on the other hand, seeing Gentiles and Samaritans and all kinds of others do what God's word said, even though they hadn't grown up hearing it. You've heard it said, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. And it's interesting, isn't it, back there in verse 43, that that phrase, hate your enemies, is not in all caps in your English translations. It's not in italics. Do you know why? Because that phrase, hate your enemy, is not a quote from the Old Testament. It's a false Jewish interpretation that people had taken upon themselves from the Old Testament. And here's what's interesting to me. You know, I, I did not teach my children to call February the 14th Valentine's Day. They just did. And here's the other thing. God didn't teach his people to love their neighbors and to hate their enemies. It was something in this evil, corrupt nature, their nasty, wicked hearts. Nobody had to teach them to hate their enemies. They just did. And we do too. What Jesus has to do time and time again with us is to correct that bad attitude, to correct the hatred that's in our heart, and he has to say, no, 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 no. When the Lord said, love your neighbor as yourself, he's not just talking about the people that you like and the people that are like you. He's talking about anyone, anyone around you that you see, that you know, that you hear of, that has a need that can be met. He's talking about anyone in the circle of your life whatever sports team they root for, whatever political party they line up with, 
whatever denomination they find themselves involved in, whatever the color of their skin, whatever preferences or opinions that they have about life in this world, Jesus says you need to love them. And it's interesting, is it not, what happens when people love and pray for their enemies? Usually it's one of two things. Oftentimes it's both. The first is this. That attitude of hatred that's been in your heart towards your enemy begins to change. And all of a sudden, you don't view them as this enemy that needs to be eradicated from the face of the earth. You view them as a sinner just like you are who is in desperate need of God's grace. Somebody who may need to encourage them because of the hurt they've experienced in their life. And the reason they've been hurting you is because they're dealing with so much heartache themselves. They don't know how to handle it other than to dish out the harm that they've received. This is the first thing that happens. Your heart begins to change because you were wrong. And then a second thing happens, not all the time, but it's neat to see when it does. It's not that just your heart begins to change when you love them and pray for them, but their heart begins to change as you love them and as you pray for them. All of a sudden, they see someone show them kindness, and it heaps burning coals on top of their head to the point that they cannot help but question themselves as to why in the world this person is being so nice to them when they have done nothing but be absolutely nasty to them. It's the second thing that happens, and oh, isn't it a blessing to see it? When God takes somebody who is so mean-spirited and critical and ugly towards others, and as someone who was once their enemy, loves them and prays for them, God begins to soften their heart and to work in their spirit and to change their attitude and to change their heart and to break down barriers so that His grace can begin to flow in and to close the gap so that His love can begin to infiltrate their hardened hearts that have been so long separated from Him. It's a tall order that Jesus gives, and he knows it. As we've looked at this command today from him and the others over the past several weeks, Jesus concluded this section of Matthew chapter 5 simply by saying, Therefore you are to be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. I don't know about you, but I don't think I can do all of the time everything Jesus has said to do, even in these six instances. I mean, I've tried much of my life, but I've also failed many times in my life. Jesus is doing something altogether different than the Jewish people thought God was originally doing. You see, in their minds, there was this high standard of morality, and if they would just act the way we were supposed to and behave like God wanted them to, then everything would be fine. But the longer and longer this Jewish people went throughout history, the more and more they realized every time God's asked us to do anything, we've fallen short of this righteous standard. And the same is true of, of us. 
we will always fall short. But Jesus doesn't want us to fall short. How in the world are we to be perfect even as our heavenly Father is perfect? It's not through trying. If you do that, you'll become a self-righteous hypocrite that Jesus continually corrected in the New Testament, just like the Pharisees. The answer neither is, is to give up, or else you become like one of the pagan, wayward Gentiles who thinks, well, I'm so bad, Jesus can't show me enough grace to save me, I might as well just live however I want to and not go to church and not associate with Christian people and not read the Bible, because what hope is there for me to live like God wants me to live? Here's the blessing, and here's the grace. The Bible teaches that people that God had made in his image, though they had sinned against him and had become his enemies, that God loved people anyway. I mean, look, if, if this truth hasn't soaked into your heart, it needs to this morning. Do you know that you and I in sin, are enemies before God? You say, Jacob, I don't like that kind of talk. Makes you sound like, like God's mad at me. Well, God is a little upset when we sin and disobey Him. I, mean, I don't know if you know that or not, but when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, He told them they would surely die. And you know what happened? They surely did. But this is not still what God wants for the people He's made. We are enemies of God because of our sin, but God loves us in spite of the wrong we've done against Him and the wrong that we do to others. So much so, the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that while we were still sinners, God demonstrated His love for us in this way, that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. Is that not a beautiful picture of God's love that we who were once enemies of God because of our sin that God chose to take his son Jesus and demonstrate his love for us by sacrificing his son on the cross to forgive his enemies of their sin you say Jake man that is too good to be true I know it sounds like that but do you even remember Jesus himself loving his enemies and praying for those who persecuted him as he's hanging there on the cross of Calvary. The same Roman soldiers who had driven nails through his hands and his feet and had smashed that crown of thorns down on top of his head. The, the same Jewish religious leaders that had demanded and encouraged the angry crowd to yell out, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus looked out over that group of people and said, Father, Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus loved his enemies. He prayed for those who not just persecuted, but executed him. Do you love your enemies? Or have you bought into the understanding, into the lie that you've been fed all of your life, that it's okay to love your neighbors? It's good to love your friends. It's right to love your family. It's the best thing to love people that are like you and that you like. But when it comes to those folks, they're on their own. Will you be brave enough 
to love your enemies, to pray for those who persecute you. You say, Jake, I, I, I still don't know if I can do that. Well, here's the good thing. When Jesus died on the cross for your sins and made it possible for you to move from being enemies of God to friends of God, he also gives you the power and the ability to love your enemies and to pray for them just like he did. You see, this is the only way for us to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. We have to admit that we're not perfect and that Jesus had to die in our place. And then we have to come to the point that we realize I cannot attain Jesus' righteous standard in Matthew chapter 5 on my own. In order for me to be perfect, I've got to be in Christ. I have to die to my old self, and I have to let him live through me. I have to let his love be the love that loves my enemies. I have to let his heart be the heart that prays for my enemies. Jesus changes you, and as Jesus changes you, he changes other people, and he changes the entire world. Jesus didn't ask for you to try harder or do better. He told you to be perfect, and the only way to be perfect is to admit you're not perfect and to choose to trust that he died on the cross for your sins and that he rose again and to believe in him so that he gives you the grace every day to live and walk in holiness. Father God, we thank you so much for today. I pray that you would continue to be with us as we worship you. Lord, I pray that as you spoke in the hearts this morning, people would respond in faith and obedience. As difficult and as challenging as it may be to love our enemies, maybe even sometimes to love our neighbors, I pray that we would remember how you've loved us when you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And I pray that you would help us to trust you as we walk with you each day, that you would give us the love and compassion we need to love others who are not like us and to love others that we don't like and to pray for them continually and constantly. Father God, we thank you for the grace you've shown us through your son. I pray that we would choose to show that grace to others. And folks, maybe you're here this morning and with your heads bowed and your eyes still closed, you know in your heart that you don't love certain people because they're your enemies. And you can't love them because you don't know how much God loves you. Maybe you've called yourself a Christian or played the game when you come to church a lot of times, but you still don't know Jesus' love. You still haven't trusted that he died on the cross for your sins. You still haven't believed that he rose again. You still haven't let his love change your heart and change your life. I'm going to ask you right now where you are, would you choose to just tell God something like this? God, I, I'm not perfect. You know it already, and I just want to admit it. But God, I, I want to become a Christian today. I want to be in Christ. 
God, I believe that Jesus died for my sins and, and I believe he rose again. And I want him to give me a new life. God, I want to give you my old life. I want to surrender everything to you. God, would you save me from my sins? God, would you help me to love my enemies? God, would you give me a holy life in Christ Jesus? Maybe you're here this morning and you already are a Christian. You gave your life to the Lord a long time ago, but he's revealed somebody or a group of people even in your heart that you don't love like he wants you to love. Would you ask him to forgive you of the hatred, the bitterness that you harbor against that person or against those people? Would you ask him to help you to be perfect just as your heavenly father is perfect? Over the next few moments, I'm just going to ask you to respond as God has spoken to your heart. If you need to come and speak with me or pray with me about something, please do so. If you need to come and kneel at this altar and pray and talk to the Lord, you can do that too. Maybe even where you're seated as this song plays. You just need to spend some time allowing the Lord to continue to speak to your heart or responding to Him. If God calls you this morning, will you listen to His voice?